Hello and welcome to The Advance, conversations about news and the Mid-America Union Conference of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. I'm Pablo Colindres, Digital Media Manager at the MAUC. This week, we talked to Dan Weber, Director of Communications for the NAD. We talk about what communication means to the church, both globally and locally, and how his background in visual storytelling defined his approach to his current role. My name is Dan Weber. I'm the Director of Communication for the North American Division. Okay. And you've been working there since 2012. Yeah, I've been in the department for six years. I've been the director for about four and a half years. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, well, thanks for coming out. Um, Yeah, thanks for taking the time to speak with me here. I know you're in a busy schedule this week. That's right. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, well, I just, I I wanted to talk to you real quick about, um, the role of communication in the sure. church, and uh, and obviously we can't speak past our own experience, and so yeah. I want to put that through the lens of y- your experience. I guess the question I'd, I'd want to start out with is, what do you think is the main thing that we should remember when talking about communication in the church setting? Are you, are you talking about like corporate communication or communication to our communities or members or you know actually every, everything? Actually, I'm really glad that you, <laughs> you you put it that way because I think there's many people that don't realize that there's yeah. this dichotomy. Yeah. Right. The church is both at once um, a hyper local ecosystem, yes. and then at the same time, it's a tiny piece of a larger global puzzle. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Both 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 the church global puzzle. Plus, also um, a secular puzzle as well. The, the, the communities outside our churches, mm-hmm. and so I think uh, if you look at communication, of course, it's important to to talk amongst ourselves. And so we have a very defined structure in the church. We have the local church, then the conference, the union, the division, and then the global church under the general conference. Mm-hmm. And so we tend to think about those areas as how we communicate back and forth. Which I think the most the most important, of course, is also communication to the to the members, mm-hmm. and so um, and that goes two ways: one, sharing with them what the church is doing, and so that's done through the conferences, and they have magazines and publications. Right. And same with the unions and the division and the general conference, all these different things, and now we have television and radio and and online, and so we're communicating that way. But what I want to make sure we're doing also is that we're listening. Right. Are we listening to what the members want to share with us? Mm-hmm. But the members also have a lot of questions, too, because we are a complicated structure. Mm-hmm. And if we take it for granted that every member understands why we're organized this way or why the church operates like this, uh, we're, we're fooling ourselves. Right. So we need to keep that open channel of communication back and forth, but make sure we're listening as much as we're talking. Yeah, the two-way street, it's right? It's a two-way street. Yeah. And then, but that's just internal communication. Right. You also have external communication yeah, with the well. outside world. What are we? How are we communicating ourselves to um, to the press and to the media, but also to our communities in general? Do people know what the Seventh Day Adventist Church is, or or what a Seventh Day Adventist believes? Mm-hmm. Probably not. Right, yeah. I, I think if you looked at in the in the early 70s, I know there were some surveys done, and they figured that around 60% of the people in North America had heard of the Seventh-day Adventist. Hmm. I think if you pulled that now, you'd probably be less than 20%. Right. I went to a public school when I went to high school and, yeah. and, and 
uh, grade school. And I remember when people asked, I went to, I went to school in Texas, so it's okay to talk about religion <laughs> in school. Yeah. <laughs> and people asked, so, so what are you? And I said, you know, Seventh-day Adventist. Yeah. Um, I, I was then afterwards told to say Seventh-day Adventist instead of Adventist because it sounded too right. much like Seventh-day Dentists. Yes. And, <laughs> <laughs> when you so, have the Southern accent. Right, yeah. Seventh-day yeah. Dentists, yeah. yeah. So that that's doesn't funny. work. That's funny. Yeah. But it's that the communication on the outside that's important for us. Mm -hmm. um, but I think also we communicate with how we relate to people. Right. And I think as a church, we need to do a better job of relating to our communities. And right now, you we we know that there's a lot of pain, a lot of frustration, a lot of confusion, in 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 our in our communities in North America, mm -hmm. and communities are divided. Yeah. And I think we need to make sure that we're part of that conversation. That's what's happening because there's a lot of questions about why are we, you know, should this happen with with these topics of race? There's mm -hmm. topics of immigration. There's topics of rich and poor. And, right. and so all of these things are things that can divide us as a community and whole. Mm -hmm. And I think the church needs to make sure that we have a place to talk and we can be a healing presence there. Mm -hmm. and, and it's vital that we're part of that conversation. Not politically. We don't take part in political conversations. Right. But when we, when we talk about human issues, mm -hmm. about things that affect humanity, those are, those are conversations we need to have. Yeah, and I think that once we start listening more, those are the type of conversations yeah. that we'll hear yeah. because all those issues that you just listed, they've always been there. You yes. know, they've never not been an issue. And right. so, yeah. And, and one of the things I think that's caused the situation where we have a lot of confusion and unrest right now is, you know, you've added in the communication tool of social media. Mm -hmm. Social media has allowed a lot more experiences to be shared. But when those sh experiences are shared, the response to those experiences are often done in ways that you would never do so to someone's face. Right. You know, when I'm talking to you, I'm going to try to be civil. And even I may, even if I disagree with you about something, I'm going to try to have a conversation where I'm trying to get you to understand my point of view. Mm -hmm. When you don't have that face-to-face -face and that personal interaction, then it's done through a computer screen yeah. or through your phone. Mm -hmm. And you will say things you would never say to someone's face. Right. And what that does is it, 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 the, the, there's the level of civil discourse disappears. Mm -hmm. And so suddenly we now end up in a conversation screaming at each other when we didn't have to. Right. Yeah. But through the all caps button. Yes. Right. Yes. Yeah. 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 And I guess uh, going on that route, um, what has been your personal mission uh, as a communication director? Um, maybe not. I, I, I know we all have. Sure. Yeah. I, I think a, the, there's a couple of things that are really important. Mm -hmm. Um, when I went to the, when I became the director, uh, we were actually a pretty small department. And okay. I went to my administration and I said, look, you look at the World Church and what North America is, um, we're actually one of the smaller communication departments and we need to do a better job of what we're doing. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, Elder Jackson, the president, has talked about, he wants to empower us to tell the story of the North American division. Because there's a lot of, you know, just like we have this kind of discourse that's, 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 um, or, or lack of discourse, you have a lot of unrest that's taking place in the church itself. Mm -hmm. The church is a replicant of uh, or a mirror to what's happening in secular society. Right. And so a lot of those same conversations are taking place, but we also have theological conversations or things that we view as theological issues that can that we some are concerned can divide us. Mm -hmm. 
And so the idea was that we need to do a better job of saying who we are as a North American division. So that's the first and first and foremost thing is on two levels. How do we communicate amongst ourselves, our own members, both in North America and outside? And secondly, how do we communicate who we are and what we stand for as a church outside the church structure to secular society? Mm -hmm. And that's first and foremost, and that's very important. Secondly, is that I want to provide opportunities to mentor young people because mm. communication is a vital tool for the church. And the younger generations, generations younger than myself, um, pick these things up very quickly and they understand it better than I ever will. And they know how to utilize these new tools that are coming out constantly better than I ever will. Mm -hmm. So what I need to do is I need to provide opportunities to give them voice to give them training, to give them the experience. So what I have is I have experience. I've been doing this for a long time. Mm -hmm. uh, I've been working in the communication field for almost 30 years. And so what I can, if I can do something to provide an opportunity for these young, talented people to learn and grow uh, in an environment will, that will encourage them to want to do that for the church, that's really important to me. And even if they don't want to work for the church, if we can provide an opportunity for them to maintain a relationship with the church. Mm -hmm. And we do that a couple of ways. First is that we uh, help run an event called the Society of Adventist Communicators. Right, yeah. And that's a conference that this year we're, we're holding our 29th convention, annual convention. And we get roughly between 250 and 300 people there. And it's a collection of working professionals plus college students studying in the field of communication. It provides an opportunity for networking and relationship building and professional training, but also spiritual development at the same time. Mm -hmm. And that's a vital event, and that's very, very important to us. And the second thing we do is we run the, what's called the Sunscreen Film Festival, mm -hmm. which I think we're roughly around year 17. And that's an opportunity for film and the visual medium is something that's very, very important to a lot of these young people that are attending our colleges. Right. And a lot of our schools, they realize that, and so they've set up training programs, film film programs or broadcast programs, where these kids are creating some very interesting storytelling medium um, mm -hmm. stories. They're using the, the, the method of visual storytelling to tell some interesting stories, and some of them are fictional, some of them are documentary, some of them are making a statement about something that's happening in society. And so Sunscreen Film Festival is an opportunity for these young, for these young people to come together and to show what they're doing in, the, in a safe environment. And by what safe I mean is that no one's going to judge them for what they're doing. Mm -hmm. But we're going to take what they've created and we're going to hold it up and we're going to celebrate it. And we actually we allow dialogue back and forth and people can ask questions and they can do slight, we'll do some critique and stuff and everything, but in a way that's helpful. Right. And that event is very, very popular. And I think there's a lot of people who would have no other connection with the church except for that event. Mm -hmm. And so for me, that's another vital way. So when it comes to being the, the important things to me are being how are we functioning as the voice of the church? And secondly, what opportunities are we providing to provide mentoring and uh, internship poss possibilities to younger people who want to work in the field of communication? Right. And uh, I've seen uh, since 
uh, you came in as director 2014, maybe, I think? Uh, 2014, became the director. Yeah. yeah. Um, definitely a larger emphasis on the visual communication. Yes. Uh, you, you obviously spent time, uh, many years with your own photography studio yeah. and then doing video for yeah. different people. And um, uh, so this is definitely what you want to focus on more. Is this, is this an emphasis that's, that's yeah, intentional? Well, for, yeah, it's, you know, I think it's an area. Visuals are very, very powerful. Mm-hmm. Uh, whether it's photography or whether it's film, uh, it, it's something for the longest time was out of the reach of the average communication person or even because it was so cost prohibitive. Right, yeah. The cost of those tools have come down. But it's not just the cost of creating things. Now there's distribution networks. You have free network, you know, online websites, uh, YouTube, Vimeo, but also social media. Mm-hmm. So now you can create a short little video and next thing you know, millions of people have seen it. Mm-hmm. And so it's a way for people to kind of help tell their stories and to share things. And so I think it's something as a church we, we need to do a better job at. Yeah. So like, like we said, we started off uh, – um, mm-hmm. in photography and video yeah. when did you know that this is the, the uh, this is the route you wanted to take to, to, to do photography or um, to do visual medium visual medium yeah you know it was it was weird I was I graduated from academy with the Indiana Academy and I knew I was going to go to Andrews because I lived near, near Andrews and I was going to go to school and I was registered and accepted but I didn't know what to study Mm-hmm. And I always loved photography. It was kind of just a hobby that, you know, I did as I had money to, you know, because back then you shot film and you had right, to process yeah. it and everything and stuff. And it wasn't like today, but everyone's got a, a, their phone's a camera and you can shoot pictures all you want. Mm-hmm. Um, it was something I liked, but I didn't have a lot of experience doing it. And my cousin was living with me one summer and he was going to be studying physical therapy at Andrews. And he said, hey, can you drive, I don't have a car, can you drive me over to Andrews? I need to go register for a summer class. So I took him over and I was walking around on campus and I saw this display in the student center. And the student center, uh, it was an aver- kind of an advertisement for a program there um, called Media Production. And it focused on producing radio, um, not video, a little bit mm-hmm. of photography, and then multimedia. And I said, hey, you know, that might be a cool major. Mm-hmm. And so I got some information about it. And when I registered for school, I signed up as a multimedia major with the intent I wanted to do radio. Right. The classic Adventist. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and I thought that was an interesting thing, though I'd always been attracted to, I was a, a, a teenager of the MTV generation. So I grew up with the early music videos and MTV, and a lot of those were very much about telling stories and stuff and everything. And I thought that was very cool. And I could always hear a piece of music and I could visualize a story in my mind, Mm -hmm. but I didn't know what to do with that. So I signed up for this major, and they made a mistake. They made me a photography major instead of a media production major. And I went to my advisor and said, hey, they messed up. I need to I need to change. And he goes, you know what? The first year you take all the same classes anyway. So just <laughs> take it, keep it photography, and then we'll have you switch at the end of your first year. And I took my first photography class and I fell in love with photography. And I said, you know, this is what I want to do. This is where I want to go. Mm-hmm. And I, it, to the point where at the end of my freshman year, I was taking senior level classes. I just did nothing but photography classes. I skipped all my generals and, you know, I would take like four photography classes at a time and it's just pushed as hard as I can. Right. And what happened is after two years, I burned out. Mm. And I ended up going for two years as a student missionary. And that was a good grounding point for me in my life. Mm -hmm. So I realized that 
I liked doing stuff for the church. Um, I never realized it would take me. So we are now. Well, well, I didn't. I didn't start working with the church till two thousand two. So after I graduated, it took eleven years for me to come work for the church. Got and it. I and by that time, I swore I'd never want to work for the church. I did a lot of freelance work for the church. Mm-hmm. So when I had my own photography studio for seven years, the 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 Pacific Press and the Review and Herald and the General Conference were some of my bigger clients. And I enjoyed doing that work. I kind of felt like it was my ministry to the church. Mm-hmm. You know, they didn't pay as well as my secular clients, but I kind of felt like it was my way of giving it back. Okay, I'll, I'll do that for a quarter of what I'd charge someone else, but it's my way of doing something for the church. And right. So I appreciated that. Yeah. Um, never with the intent that I would ever work for the church. And then in 2002, the church called and said, would you come work for us to help us produce a TV show we're putting into place? And I laughed at the person on the phone. <laughs> so I don't, I don't know how many people laugh at the general conference when they call and say, mm-hmm. would you come work for us? Um, but, but I politely apologized. And then, you know, we finished the conversation. And I went home and I talked to my wife about it. And in talking about it, we realized that it's very easy to say no to the church, but it's hard to say no to God. So I told God, okay, if this is what you want us to do, this and this and this and this are going to have to happen. And I set the bar really high, never expecting it to happen. And I sat there and watched God make all these things happen and made it possible for us to go mm-hmm. leave a job where I was making a lot more money in California to come work for the church, move all the way, move my family all the way across the country. Yeah, clear across, stuff. Yeah. Clear across the country. Sell the house. We bought our, what we consider our dream house at 30 years of age. And to sell it, you know, we had a log home up in the mountains, uh, you know, up in, mm. like, uh, up out in the uh, near Tahoe. And it was just, it was for, for us, it was a perfect place to give all that up to come work for the church. But I, I could clearly see that this was something God wanted us to do. Mm-hmm. And what I found was there's actually a level of comfort there. When you stop worrying about what you want to do and you just wait for God to tell you what he wants you to do. Right. And when I had that, there's actually peace. And so even though working for the church can be hard sometimes, I don't let it get me frustrated because I know this is where God wants me to be. And I've I've had three different jobs working for the church. And every time when I was asked if I want to move this, I could... I clearly could hear God saying, yeah, this is where you need to go. Mm-hmm. I never thought I'd be communication director of North American News, <laughs> ever. I remember when uh, Kermit Nedeberg, who was director of communication, he was actually assistant to the president for communication for a long time, highly respected, uh, value his opinion very, very highly. And uh, I remember when he said that he was leaving to go pastor. And... I remember when that position was open. That was 2005. And I said to myself, man, I could never do that job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And nine years later, I was in the job. Got it, yeah. Yeah. So it, it's about God puts you where he wants you to be. I, I've never, I never had the intent of, you know, even when I came to the division in 2012, I didn't want to be the director. Mm-hmm. I wanted to focus on, I was the associate director, but I was focusing on, you know, visual medium and telling stories and, and adding something that the division didn't have at that time. Mm-hmm. And I did that. And then all of a sudden the opportunity came and they said, would you be the director? And I had to say, wow, is this what I mean? I'm comfortable doing the other thing. I'm okay with right, it. I yeah. could do that the rest of my life. But they said, no, we want you to do this. Okay. 
Yeah, and one and one of your missions, uh, you, you spoke about mentoring. Um, who in your life has been that mentor figure? Have you had someone that? You... So w- w- what I did when I um, every time I transition to something new, I try to find someone who can serve as a mentor for me, especially when I was younger. Mm-hmm. So when I started off doing freelance photography. There was a local photographer who I clicked with. In fact, I was a, what's called a photographer's assistant. I made $75 a day. Okay. And I worked for him. Basically, we would go on a shoot someplace, a magazine shoot or something. I hold all the gear. I set up all the lights. I did everything. He showed up. He pointed the camera. He clicked the picture. He got the credit. I'd done all the grunt work. But for me, I learned a lot. Mm-hmm. And for him, I considered him a mentor because I, I learned a lot from him in a very short period of time, about a year and a half. And finally, one day... And I was starting to get hired a little bit for freelance jobs here and there and stuff. And he took me to lunch one day and he goes, I need you to quit. And I go, what? He goes, you're not a good assistant anymore. He goes, you're now a photographer. You're thinking like a photographer. Mm. You need to go be a photographer. And I was like, no, but I like working with you. (laughs) And he goes, yeah, but no, you're a better photographer than you are an assistant. Mm. So he goes, I can't tell you what to do. You know what to do. Go do it. And I did. And then even then when I was setting up my business, there were other professionals who I became friends with who I considered mentors. And then after seven years, I got hired by one of my corporate clients and I was there for five years. And in doing that job, you know, some of my coworkers, I, I uh, developed very strong relationships with, but I would, I would, I soaked up as much as I could because mm-hmm. I was transitioning from doing still photography into visual medium. Mm-hmm. So we were starting to do video and it was a, it was a, it was a rough transition, but I found out later that almost every good film per film director started off as a still photographer. Mm-hmm. And then made the transition into into film or video. Yeah, just and so for for me it was a natural transition. I just yeah. didn't know it was a natural transition, and so the way I did about it was I learned how to edit video before I ever learned how to shoot video. Mm, right, and that yeah. actually made me a better shooter because when I went to go shoot stuff, knew. I knew from an editing point of view what I needed. I need this shot, this shot, this shot. If I'm going to tell the story, and in my mind I would start, I was editing the video as I was shooting it mm-hmm. because I would say to myself if I'm going to edit this story that I see unfolding in front of me I would put this shot this shot this shot this shot and this shot together so that's what I went and shot mm-hmm. so when I would actually go edit the video in my mind it was already it was streamlined. I yeah. knew the story yeah. and so it was just boom just cut this thing together as I'd seen it in my mind as I was shooting it mm-hmm. and I think that being able to learn how to do video that way was very important Mm-hmm. And that's not something that our schools teach. No, yeah. And I've talked to a bunch of our teachers, and I said, could you teach it this way? <laughs> because I think it's a really um, important way to learn how to tell a story. Yeah, yeah. And we tend to focus on the technical so much that we we tend to lose the focus of the actual story itself. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure you've seen a really good video or a movie that it may not have been shot with the best camera, but the story was so engaging you didn't care. Mm-hmm. But I know you've also seen really movies shot with the best camera ever, and but the story wasn't that strong, and you were right. like, when is this over? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, just last year, one of the best um, movies out there was Lady Bird, yes. and the director, Greta Gerwig, talks about how, this was her debut film, and talks about how uh, at every set she was, uh, you know, she was 
first just the the boom holder yeah. and stuff and just doing everything yeah. that's how she learned to do that yeah. yeah if if there was like a course i could teach college kids one of the things i would have on there is definitely find a mentor yeah. wherever you go and so yeah. I'm, I'm guessing you'd have it there yeah, so somewhere. every step of the way when i was so when i came to work for the church then you know the guy who actually recruited me to come work for the church was a guy named john banks and he'd been director of the media center in Australia, which at the time was probably the best media center in the church. Mm-hmm. And then he got, in 2000, he got called to the general conference to be the associate communication director. And he was he was a strong mentor for me. I learned a lot from him in that time period. And then after that, then I moved to the mission office, um, the office of Adventist Mission, and my vice president, Mike Ryan, was a mentor of mine. Mm-hmm. And so he and I traveled all over the world together and everywhere we went, and I was moving. I was moving from being mentored on the technical side, the communication side. What I started to learn about was the structure of the church and how the church operates, right. and and how the church tries to um, fulfill its mission. Mm-hmm. And that element then was really vital to when I became when I came to North America and started working in the communication department, and then became the director mm-hmm. because I understood the technical side. But I also understood the church structure Your side workings. and the missional side, and so I could put all the, those things together. So if I go to a church administrator, I can speak about why we need to do something from a communication point of view, but I can also speak to them in a language they can understand missionally and also administratively right. yeah. at the same time. Yeah. Once you transitioned over into the director position you're in now, yeah. when did you know you'd hit your stride? Because I'm sure at the beginning it was uh, continuing or facing out. I was scared, I was scared out. to death. Yeah. <laughs> I was scared to death. You know, and, and the, what I, the one thing I really had to work on was the public relations side mm-hmm. and, and learning how do you deal with a crisis. And so I, I learned from a lot of people. Um, you know, one of the things I had to do was when, you know, Dr. Ben Carson decided to run for president. Right. And then the church said, okay, we, we want to set up a team to manage the church's response to this. Because here, we've never had a, a, an Adventist member in such a high-profile position. Mm-hmm. And so we set up a team, and it was run out of my office. And so I'm chairing this committee on how do we deal with this stuff. And the first thing we did is we hired some consultants to come in and help us get through the thing. And I sat there and just soaked up everything they taught us. Mm -hmm. And I learned a lot during that time. So, you know, here I am 50 years of age. I think one of the important things to be a successful communicator and actually anything in life is to never stop learning. Mm. Always strive to pick up a new skill set or to advance a skill set that you think you're already good at. Right. But but don't just do one skill set. Learn to do multiple things. Mm-hmm. So I went to school to study photography. So I still do photography a lot. But I use it in, in, in video form. I use it in still form. I also use it in, you know, when working on a project with a graphic designer. I know what a good picture I know what a good picture is. I know mm-hmm. which picture to select. So when you're doing photo editing or, you know, even just deciding, okay, where what are we gonna put on the cover? What's the concept for the cover of a magazine? Mm-hmm. Or what's the concept that we want to do for a video? All these things through all the experience I've had, I've learned all these different things, but just never stop learning. Always keep growing, always keep pushing. Uh, when I worked in the corporate world for five years, they actually required us to identify three key goals, skill sets that we had to learn that next year. Mm. And the way the compensation system was set up, for me to get my bonus at the end of the year, I had to have accomplished the three things that I said I wanted to accomplish. Um, But here's the thing. My three goals were tied to my boss's goals and her goals were tied to her boss's goals who were tied to the company's goals. 
so that that way, if I was successful and she was successful and that person was successful, the company was successful. Mm -hmm. So when I went in and said, oh, I want to learn how to do flash video. Okay, why? Well, because we can then put it on our websites. This is back in 99. Yeah, when it was. You know, yeah. when people use Flash, yeah. you know, everyone's <laughs> trying to get away from it. But um, they said, okay. So they paid for me to go to a class and learn how to do that stuff. And so what I learned then was that set yourself a goal every year of one or two things that you want to learn how to do. Mm. And then work your best. And you may not achieve it. You may not achieve all three, but at least you've grown as a person and you've grown as a professional. Right. And when you do that, if you're working for an organization, say to yourself, what can my learning uh, help me do my job better for this organization? Or mm -hmm. how can it help me grow in this organization? And that's really vital. Yeah. And, and, and as, as a supervisor now, as people working for me, well, if someone comes to me and says, I want to learn this skill set and I think it'll better the organization because of this. Go for it. I'm like, go for it. And how can we help you pay for it? Yeah. Because good leaders empower their people. Mm -hmm. uh, and I read the biography, Walter Isaacson's biography of Steve Jobs. And one thing Jobs says is, don't ever be afraid to not be the smartest person in the room. Right. Yeah. Hire good people around you. So there's your life lesson from Dan Weber today. Yep. Stanford send it. Yeah. <laughs> We're good. Okay. Um, uh, going th again through that uh, visual communication style you have, um, we've been, we're in the process of changing our branding. Sure. Now to the corporate side, the, the, again, the dichotomy of the church is the corporate yeah. and the, the local. For the corporate side, it makes perfect sense. Sure. But for a your average week-to-week -week pew warmer, why, do they, why, why should they should, yeah, why is this okay. an important thing? Here's the challenge. Let's say in a town you have seven Adventist churches. If they all are branded differently or don't even use the name Seventh-day Adventist at all, you know, here's the Winslow Community Arc. Mm -hmm. Okay, but does anyone know what that is? You're they new. know it as the Winslow Community Arc. And that one's a new beginnings temple. And, and yeah. So how is that helping us tell the community who we are? Mm -hmm. Our name calls out two of the most important things in our in our church, the Sabbath, the seventh day, mm -hmm. and the fact that we're Adventists, the fact that we believe in the second coming of Jesus Christ. And so those are important things. So while your local church can have an identity, it's very important to, to, for it to be part of the bigger structure as well. Mm -hmm. And, it, you know, I'm not talking corporate. I'm just talking about being identified as part of the Seventh-day Adventist Church as a denomination. Mm -hmm. We have some amazing things about our church. Uh, we have the second largest parochial education system in the world. We have the second largest religious-based healthcare system in the United States. We are the most ethnically diverse Christian faith in North America. Mm-hmm. These are all things we have to be proud of. And that, you know, when I talk to reporters and I share these things, they're like, wow, that's mm, cool. Yeah. That's awesome. And so as, as, as for the people in the local church, embrace your local church, embrace the significance of who that church is in the broader scope of 16,000 churches around the world and in 5,500 churches in North America. Because that's something special. Right. And so when it comes to branding, if we identify the selves that we are part of something that we need to be really proud of. 
Yeah. Um, what are things have you been um, we've been seeing in the church that make you kind of excited for what's to come? Um, um, have you seen any like any new student initiatives that you think might be? Uh, no, I'm I'm I was very happy to hear and to see. You know, uh, the topic of race has come up a lot. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the, 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 at the forefront of that conversation were a lot of our college students. Right. And they, they stepped forward on their campuses and said, why, why are things like this? And sometimes it was just a matter of an education as to why things, and I'm not, I'm not defending things. But I'm just saying that, well, the church has done it this way because of this. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things that get talks about a lot is the regional conferences. Why do right. we have regional conferences? And once we explain the history of the Adventist church, which is not a very good history when it comes to race relations, mm-hmm. the fact that up until 1963, you had segregated bathrooms and dining rooms in the general conference world headquarters. Mm-hmm. That's, not a, that's not something to be proud of. But, but the regional conferences were set up to empower that important element part of our church. And because of it, that part of the church is now 32% of our membership in North America. Right. I talked to Calvin Rock, who wrote Protest and Progress yep. uh, just for the last episode. And that's one of the things he said, you know, even though it might not have come from the best uh, possible circumstances, the fact is that we've been able to... Um, reach this community that otherwise yeah. would we're not have reach. been yeah. reached yeah. because of the... And we took, we took a circumstance that was really bad and um, a structure was set up and what it did is it empowered a group of people that were really willing to take off. Mm-hmm. And you can look at every five years, so this happened in 1944, mm-hmm. every five years after that, that the size of that group doubled and the influence they had doubled. And so th- that was an amazing thing to see the church grow and to see communities that we had never been able to reach before suddenly start growing. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that I've, even, even today, so I'm proud of the young people for asking those questions and coming forward and saying, yeah, no, we shouldn't act like this. We need to treat each other fairly and civilly and with respect, mm-hmm. which is 100% right. And the fact that, you know, there were some responses. Andrews gave a response and says, you know what, we can do better. Mm-hmm. Other people have stepped forward and said, you know what, we need to apologize for the way that African-Americans and minorities in the church have been treated over a long period of time. That need, that need Those are good things. Mm-hmm. But those statements came up because young people asked questions and young people said, no, this isn't the right thing. And so I think when I see the young people in our church um, stepping out and empowering themselves I'm, I'm touched by that. Mm-hmm. So at the NAD, we've done a couple of things. When we have our year-end meeting every every November, we invite the college leaders of all the Adventist colleges in North America, the young people, mm-hmm. to come to our meeting and not only sit and observe, but we give them voice and vote. So mm-hmm. when we vote through different things. They can, they can go to the microphone, they can ask a question, and then they can vote on that issue. Yeah. And I think that's really important. Yeah, that that's giving a voice. It's a it's a small voice. It's a start. Mm-hmm. Um, we do not have enough representation of young people in our church when it comes to leadership positions or in decision making positions. Mm-hmm. But I think we are pushing in that direction. Um, so that that's really really important to me. The other thing we've done is we've started some conversations with our leadership with young people. And I think those are important to have because they get, they've got questions mm-hmm. that they want answers to. 
And if we can provide a form for those questions to be asked and answered, and even if they don't agree with the answer, at least they've had the opportunity to have a face-to-face conversation. We talked earlier about the opportunity to do a face-to-face conversation and what that means. So if we can provide that between the young people in our church and our leadership, that's important. Yeah, it just gives them validation. Of, yes. You know, they're yes. worth yeah. something. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, okay, well, it's it's getting late here. You've been traveling all day, so I'm just going to hit you some sure. some quick-fire questions real quick. And we've already hit the mentor one. What's Do you have, like, a specific, uh, a special quote that you'll really like? I mean, you, there's the Steve Jobs quote. Yeah, uh, that, yeah. that one I, I go through a lot. Um, you know, one of my, when I was working as a photographer, uh, a photographer's assistant mm-hmm. and one of the guys I worked with said don't ever be afraid to make a mistake just don't make the same mistake twice mm. yeah and, and I and I learned a lot from that and so that that in my mind that afforded me the opportunity to take a risk but if it failed learn from that failure right Samuel Beckett's fail yes. better right yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. okay um, is there any like any hill that you're gonna die on like do you have a, a very strong conviction or something the, uni- the unity of our church. Okay. Yeah. That's important to me. But that unity does not mean that we need to force people to do things that they don't want to do. Right. Not uniformity. Not uniformity. Unity. But keeping the church unified is very, very important because once that fractures, the church is done mm-hmm. as, as an organized structure. Okay. And what will unify us is mission. Mm. Because you have two people who may disagree on a theological topic. But if you put them in the same project working together to achieve mission, suddenly those differences go away. Right. Goal setting, basically. Yeah. yeah and when you're focused on fulfilling the gospel commission, mm-hmm. all the other thing becomes not important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And that, I think that's a definitely a byproduct of, of communication yeah. departments and churches yeah. and, and unions and stuff. Yeah. And yeah. yeah. Okay. What's your favorite place to visit then? Oh, or you've been to and you, when the favorite. Well, I've been to more than 120 countries, so that's that's a tough question. You know what? I, you know what my favorite place to visit is the place I've not been to yet. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah. yeah, it reminds me a lot of um, Umberto Eco's library. Yeah, he had a huge library. People asked him, "Have you read all of them?" No, but that's the that's the fun that's part. The best part. Yeah, yeah. That's the best part. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'll tell you one thing I did learn in all my travels for work and stuff was that I probably had the lamest palate in the world. <laughs> I couldn't handle any spice or anything stuff like that. I learned to appreciate the food of different cultures, mm-hmm. and that's actually you know I've thought about if I ever write a book about my experiences working for the church, I would title it "The Things I've Seen and the Things I've Eaten." Mm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Is there something you wish you could do now in your position that you can't? Hmm. I wish I had more time. Right. Okay. I, I wish I had more time to just stop and reflect on things. Okay. Which I think we don't, we tend not to do that enough. We tend to get so oversaturated with work that we don't stop and reflect enough. Right. Yeah. And piggybacking off of that real quick, we could end on some highlights. What's, sure. Um, what have been some of the highlights for NAD communication in the past uh, two three years, one thing I was very um, that I was uh, blessed to work on was when the church was having its conversation about women and or- women's ordination. Mm-hmm. Uh, each division was tasked with preparing a report on the issue in their division and the and the perspectives and opinions on it. So the uh, NAD ministerial asked me to work on that project. Mm-hmm. So I had the opportunity to, to fly all around North America. We interviewed seventy five theologians on that topic. Hmm. And then I pre- help prepare 
the visual material that was part of that report. And that's something I'm very proud of. Yeah. Um, even though, the, you know, the decision that took place in San Antonio is not one I agree with, but I understand it was the vote of the church, and that's what we, we'd asked for, and that was, that was done, and so I respect that. But just the opportunity to be able, I learned a lot. Mm-hmm. I grew as a person. I grew as a, as a church employee. I grew as a Christian. I grew as an Adventist. By hearing a lot of those experiences, a lot of those stories, you get to talk about Charles Bradford, um, talk to some of the leading theologians in the church and get their perspectives on things. And I, I, I really grew as a person and a Christian. And the fact that I was asked to be part of that conversation and to help produce that report, that was a highlight for me. Yeah. I, I think the other thing I'm proud of is the fact, you know, uh, we've worked hard to try to increase the methods and ways in which we communicate to people in the North American Division. Mm-hmm. And I've been blessed to be able to hire some really good people on my team. And the proudest I am is of the team that we've set up. Mm-hmm. I have a good group of people around me. And it's the point where if I walked away, I know it, it would still survive. Right. Yeah. And I'm, you know, I'm going to quote Steve Jobs again. It's okay. I'm not the smartest person in the room, but yeah. I've got great people around me. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah that's worth something yeah. for sure. Well, thank you so much for coming by. You're welcome. Um, currently, uh, I guess you're working on, on getting the 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 identity system through. Yeah, and, we're going around and sharing our br- new brand visual branding system with people and with yeah. offices and unions, and then. Uh, it's an interesting process. Yeah, but it's exciting. You know, yeah, it gives it people a chance to you know yeah. reflect and yeah. figure and out. So it, it's a way out. for you know visually sharing that we're all part of the same organization. Mm-hmm. We're all different, but we're all the same. Yeah. Anything else you're working on at the moment? Um, what do we have going on? I've got GC session coming up in 2020, and we're already starting to prepare stuff for that. Yeah, it's a couple of years. We've got a huge teachers convention coming up in August, and then a ministries convention in January, and of course SAC and sunscreen and all sorts of other things. Yeah. Right. Fun. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming by. You're welcome. I appreciate your time and, you I, and uh, good luck with everything else. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you for listening to The Advance. Please join us next time. 